Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, what a joy it is to come and fellowship with one another and read your word and study it. And I just pray that we would have you open up our hearts and minds to your truth this morning, that you would continue to mold us and shape us to look more and more like you through your sanctifying power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the 15th chapter of Romans as we continue our study of not only the book of Romans, but also of the 15th chapter. And we'll pick up where I left off last week, which is in verse 7. Verse 7, in our focal passage this morning, is the 7th through the 12th verse. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, Therefore... Receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall have hope. As we begin the message this morning, let me remind you that in 14 and 15, Paul is giving practical instruction to the church of Rome in how they should interact with one another. And the makeup of the Roman church was both Jew and Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had different backgrounds and there was a potential for having a disharmony among the people. That's why in verse 7 he says, therefore receive one another. He says, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. There's that phrase again, to the glory of God. That all things that we should do and however we live our life, we should live for the glory of God. And when you think about the mature and immature believer, and I've made this statement before, frankly, that's a sign of a healthy church, is that we have mature and immature believers. It, it means that somebody just came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? If they're an immature believer. But immaturity isn't a static position. In other words, as you grow in the faith, you grow in maturity, don't you? We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But we should receive one another. It says, receive one another just as Christ also received us. Now, remember, Christ told us that the world would know that we are his disciples for our love for one another. 
And that's a sign also of a healthy church, is that we have a, an abiding love for one another, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we get to verses 8 through 12. And there's a lot of different ways that one could preach verses 8 through 12. And as I was determining what I was going to say on these verses, I have to say that as I read verses 8 through 12, the thing that I come away with is assurance. Assurance in the reliability of the Word of God. And you may say, well, how do I get assurance from those verses? And so I want to outline the great assurance that you can have as a believer as you look at verses 8 through 12. First of all, let's look at verse 8. Paul says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And you get this title, Servant of the Circumcision. Now, I don't need to point out that Jesus Christ was a Jew. He was born a Jew, and being born as a male Jew, you were circumcised. And in fact, you can see in the life of Christ, in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, referring to Jesus, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, why is this important? Some people would argue, in fact, I saw a commentary on this, did Jesus really have to get circumcised? And they go through this line of thought saying that he didn't have to get circumcised. And I totally disagree with that. That Jesus Christ did have to get circumcised. And the reason why he did have to get circumcised, first of all, is that it was commanded. That God commanded Abraham that your male descendants would be circumcised. So he was following upon the father's commands. Second of all, if you look at verse 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now what were the promises made to the fathers? Well, you'll need to turn to Genesis chapter 12 for that one. And we have God giving Abram, who would become Abraham, the covenant promises, the promises made to the fathers. This is what Paul's referring to here in Romans 15. So in Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall 
be blessed. So circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And that's what God tells Abraham as he initiates circumcision. He tells Abraham that in him, in Abraham, first of all, he would be a nation. From his lineage, there would be a nation. Second of all, in that nation, it says in the chapter 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise was reaffirmed to Isaac and Jacob. It is the covenant that was made to Abraham. So Christ was the servant of the circumcision to confirm the promises. To confirm the promises. And one of those promises was that through the covenant that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This leads us to verse 9. And in verse 9 it says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Servant of the circumcision. And then that the Gentiles might glorify God. Who is a Gentile? A Gentile is everybody who is not a Jew. Everybody who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And as Paul makes that statement, he then goes on and quotes several verses from the Old Testament. In verse 9, he quotes a psalm. In verse 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy. In verse 11, he quotes a psalm. In verse 12, he quotes from Isaiah. Let me read those verses again. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, in verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. In verse 11, and again, praise the name, all you Gentiles, laud him, all ye peoples. In verse 12, and again, Isaiah says there shall be a root of Jesse and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall have hope. In other words, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, we are told that Gentiles would come to accept Jehovah God, that we would accept the God of the Jews. In other words, the covenant of Abraham would be fulfilled. When you go to the New Testament, when you look at John chapter 10, verse 16, let me read you the words of Christ. In other sheep I have which are not of this fold. In other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Christ is telling his audience, in addition to the Jews, there are other sheep I have. Post-resurrection, turn with me to Acts 1 verse 8. 
Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus Christ, before His ascension, said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Old Testament, you have the prophecy that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or be adopted into the family and the covenant promises. In the New Testament, in the teaching of Jesus Christ himself, he said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. In Acts before the ascension, he gives instructions that the Jews were to go out of Israel, out of Israel, and to spread the gospel message. When we get to Acts 10, we get to the story of Cornelius. If you remember the story of Cornelius, he summons Peter who is in Joppa, for him to come to Caesarea. And as he comes to speak with Cornelius, in verse 44, he begins preaching. And Peter's preaching in in verse 44 of Acts 10. And he says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Cornelius is the first recorded Gentile of the New Testament who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 11, We witness the first Gentile church in Antioch, which in today is in modern day Turkey. And if you look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, it reads, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church, and they taught a great many people And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here you're seeing a transition. A transition from Jesus being taught within Judaism. 
to migrating out and being taught among the Gentiles and the Gentiles coming to a saving faith. And in fact, and later on in Romans 15, we'll see Paul make this statement. Starting in the 15th verse, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to who? To the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans was written before Philippians. And when we turn to Philippians chapter 4, as Paul closes in on that letter to the church at Philippi, he says in verse 21 of the fourth chapter of Philippians, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Think about that. In the life of Paul, not only does the message of Jesus Christ migrate, just as the Old Testament told us that it would, it migrates from the Jews to the Gentiles. And by the time that Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, There are believers in the household of Caesar. Eusebius, the early church historian, wrote in the second century about the missionary efforts that were going on at that time. And he said, At that time, many Christians felt their souls inspired by the Holy Word with a passionate desire for perfection. Their first action in obedience to the instructions of the Savior was to sell their goods and to distribute them to the poor. Then leaving their homes, they set out to fulfill the work of an evangelist, making it their ambition to preach the word of the faith to those who as yet had heard nothing of it and to commit to them the book of the divine gospels. They were content simply to lay the foundations of the faith among these foreign peoples They then appointed other pastors and committed to them the responsibility for building up those whom they had merely brought to the faith. Then they passed on to other countries and nations with the grace and help of God. And by 380, Christianity within the Roman Empire had changed from a forbidden faith to the faith that was endorsed by the state, by Constantine. Today, Christianity is the largest faith on the globe. And every single country in the world has a church except Saudi Arabia, even though there are Christians in Saudi Arabia. Why does this give me assurance? When you combine the covenant promises of Abraham, the life and gospel of Jesus Christ, in the history of Christianity, not only as we read it in the Bible, 
but also as we survey the timeline of history where people accept the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you see the power of God displayed in all of time. It is his power and his truth. It's important. And as I live in a world and you live in a world that doesn't to us seem to make a lot of sense, you and I can rest that God is on His throne. Let me ask you a question. Can you force anybody to do anything after you have died? You might say, well, pastor, that's a ridiculous question. And for us, it is a ridiculous question. But when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and you look at the words that were spoken to the prophets, that were displayed in the Old Testament, when you look at the teachings of Jesus Christ while He was here on earth, when you look at His last words before He ascended, He gives instructions to His disciples to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and spread his gospel message, and then you see people accept that word, God's alive. God's alive. Now, if I can believe that, which I do, if I can believe that, then I need to give weight to every single word that was given to us by Christ in his teachings and his truth. And it reminds me of things to come. As Jesus spoke in Revelation chapter 22, starting in the 12th verse. These are the words of Christ. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride says, come. And let him who hears says, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Who's the bride of Christ? It's us, right? It's us. Now, as you and I have had the veil taken away, and you and I can read his word and we can look at the Word, and we can line it up with history, and we can look at all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in His first coming. 
we should have great confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to fulfill everything that he told us in his second coming. He's coming again. He's coming again. The first time he came as a lamb. The second time he comes as a lion. And my friends, the one thing that I believe that the church has lost over the last number of decades is a sense of fervency to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. If he can orchestrate, if he can orchestrate through his power, Gentiles coming throughout the centuries in a change from a Gentile population that believed in paganism to a Gentile population that believed in Christianity and truth. If he can do that, I clearly believe that he is coming again. And I clearly believe that he will stand and he will judge all mankind. Now, if he's going to judge all mankind, shouldn't you and I be motivated to look at our neighbors and our friends, and our families that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and look at them and say, let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as we sing the battle hymn of the Republic, the particular verse that I'm referencing is not in the original battle hymn of the Republic. A Christian added it, but I love the last verse in our hymnal. Because the last verse, to me, is a great representation of how you and I should have as believers when it says, Lord, give me one more minute, give me one more day to share His truth. Give me one more minute, give me one more day. We have a choice. We have a choice. As we see the institutions of our country fall into moral decay, as we see people cling to sin, we have a choice. We can, one, come in here and, as people have kind of created this little phrase, we can have a holy huddle. We can come in and we can sit down, and we could wring our hands every single Sunday, and we can talk about how bad the world is. It is bad. I think everybody would agree that as you look over our society and you look at the world that most of us grew up in, that world has changed. That world has changed. And we could come and we could moan and groan and talk about, oh, how bad it is. And we could pat each other on the back and we can go home and we can turn on the television and the next six days watch about how bad the world is. And then on Sunday, we can come back and we can do it all over again. That's the temptation, right? There's a sense of comfortableness about that. You don't really have to change anything. That's option one. Option two. You and I as Christians know the only person that can change men's souls, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it. Politics aren't going to do that. Lord, help us. By this time, we don't realize that politicians have clay feet. Politicians aren't going to do it. 
Education's not going to do it. We have reached a level of education that far few civilizations have ever reached. Education doesn't change. Wealth doesn't change. We're one of the wealthiest nations that ever existed on the planet. It's not intellect. It's not wealth. It's not morality. There's only one thing that's going to change our society, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is that going to cause us some level of discomfort? To get out of our comfort zone and move from this idea that we're going to have a holy huddle every Sunday to an idea of six days a week, I am a missionary in my community. That's what we were commanded to do, right? We were commanded to share our faith. It wasn't, you know, if it's comfortable and you think it's a good idea, yeah, you might want to consider doing it. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go. Go. In the words that we just studied here in Romans 15, I think is clear evidence that God is in control. He's on his throne and he has commanded us to be a witness. He's commanded us to be a witness. And personally, I think we have limited time. My personal view is, is I think we're in the last days. What if he came back tomorrow? Ask yourself this question. Is there someone in my mind right now that I wish would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is there someone? Is there a family member? Is there a next door neighbor? Is there a friend? Is there someone that I know right now that I'm friends with or have a close relationship with? Is there someone that if Jesus Christ came tomorrow, I would have regret for not sharing? That answer is more than likely yes. More than likely yes for all of us. That there's someone that if the Lord Jesus Christ came back tomorrow, we go, I wish I would have told him. I wish I would have told them. It is the time of the Gentiles till Christ comes back. And Christ told us to share our faith. And we should be encouraged by his power that's been exhibited throughout the centuries. So we should be true to his teachings and his truth in how we live our life every day. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that we live in an age where we can look back upon the face of time and see your hand and see the fulfillment of prophecy as an encouragement for us as we live out our faith. And I pray, Lord, that we would take your teachings and truth and live by them and that we might take seriously your commands and that we might be a witness to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. 
If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.